0: You're listening to the Carbilline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. With me, as always, is the Director of Technical Service, Mr. Paula Jamis. Paul, I bet you're doing good and glad to be here this morning. You know, I'd like to throw a curveball at you, but, you know, hey, it's Friday again. Everything's good. It's like Animal House. Rush Chairman. Damn glad to meet you. (laughs) I actually just shook a whole
1: bunch
2: of people's hands yesterday. And that was exactly what I said. I don't think any of them got the reference, but, you know,
0: it was worth the effort. Today we have a guest in. We have Norman Pettigrew from Chloride in to talk about soluble salts and their soluble salts levels. But before we kick over to that interview, Paul, how do people get a hold of us?
2: Yeah, they can reach us at, technical service at carmeline.com. They can also get us on Twitter, Jack's at Jack underscore
0: CTSP, and I'm at Paul underscore CTSP. Okay, guys. The ice has been broken we finally got an email with a topic to talk about on a future podcast so we are working with our chemists in the lab because it's kind of an in-depth topic so we hope to get to it soon but somebody did it so it's okay for the rest of you <laughs> Now that the ice was broke, that first boy walked across the high school dance floor and asked a girl to dance, and now everybody's doing it. Anyway, here's our interview with Norman. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by Norman Pettigrew, the regional sales manager for Chloride, a division of Borchers. That's right. He came in to St. Louis today with one of his counterparts,
2: Joe Harris, who's also with Borchers, who works more with the raw material side of things. Joe's kind of sitting in with us as he's learning the ropes of more of what we do here. Norman's going to be talking with us about soluble salts and chloride tests and CSN test kits and what kind of levels
1: we should be looking at when you're doing salt testing. So welcome to the show, Norman. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. And on behalf of Joe and myself, I'm really honored to be here and appreciate the opportunity to talk with you.
2: All right. We're glad to have you here. One of the things that we talk about when we're talking about, especially tank linings, but it also Mm -hmm. is true for structural steel, um, especially in bridges, DOTs, repair work of existing stuff or when they start to do a rehab project, one of the things that frequently gets overlooked but usually comes back to be brought up when there's a failure is we end up seeing these blisters or we have hold delamination, which is frequently caused by osmotic pressure that's developed by soluble salts salts that are left on the surface you can't always see them they're sometimes called invisible contaminants and They're left there just from the environment. If you're in the area of chemical facilities, it's frequent to have sulfates and nitrates. If you're in a northern area north of the
0: Mason-Dixon line, you have chlorides because everybody puts salt on the roads. Mm -hmm. And since the removal of these is important at CarbLine, we frequently recommend chloride for the removal of soluble salts. We thought, who better to have in here to talk about the process and what we need to do than Norman? One other thing that we, we didn't talk about here is Frequently, if, if you're familiar with the NACE certification in our industry, a number is associated with your NACE certification, and Norman is one of the few people that I've met with a three-digit NACE certification number, so I, I must not get out very often. Um, but um, We're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> but So Norman's been doing this a really long time, and is a very valuable resource in this. It's, it's an honor to have him in here with us talking today. Thanks. Norman, when we're talking about soluble salts and coatings, what salts are we talking about?
1: Be understood that there's probably well over a hundred different types of salts in the the earth, and uh, the three main types of soluble salts that we have to deal with in our areas is chlorides, uh, which is more or less sea salts or de-icing salts, things of that nature; Uh, nitrates from fertilizer uh, plants. And uh, diesel trucks from their fumes, and also sulfates uh, from sulfur burning, uh, coal burning type plants. So it's spread out throughout the entire United States, of the world for that matter. There's two different standards uh, for chloride, sulfates, and nitrates that basically everybody goes by. It's not written in stone yet because NACE, SSPC, and ISO are all working together as we speak to try to come up with written standards. So now the standards are to be left up to you guys, the coatings manufacturer, and are the uh, end user, the, the owner of the equipment.
2: And just to back him up, <clears throat> I'm on that NACE committee trying to determine what those values are, and it is a contentious topic. Absolutely. There is no agreement at all as to where these numbers really need to be. You know, Owners are advocating a, a nice low number, paint manufacturers want a low number but a fabricator and the painters want a higher number because it makes their job a little bit easier,
1: easier.
2: and and it's just really a contentious and it changes based on your environment
1: Absolutely. you know how
2: dry is your environment is this going to be in an area with a lot of humidity all of those play factors in it and it it's really a, a difficult thing to land on they, this debate's been going on for decades
1: right and there's there's a lot of uh, valuable information on the web that you can go to sort of like uh uh, the National um, uh, Deposition Program that you can get online and see maps of the United States on an annual basis showing the amount of chloride salts and sulfates and uh, nitrates throughout the United States area and, and how bad they are on a, on a yearly basis. For example, uh, the entire eastern seaboard in the Gulf of Mexico is inundated on an annual basis with chloride salts because of the the oceans but uh, it even gets worse when you have tropical storms, rainstorms, hurricanes, and all that coming in. When it comes in, just like last year it went into Houston, it's really kicking up the numbers to an extremely high ratio. And generally it will take uh, in kilograms per hectare, uh, which is uh, uh, 2.2 pounds for every basic, uh, basically two and a half acres of surface area it generally blows in from 15 to 50 pounds of salt for each two and a half acres of land area on an annual basis.
0: That's huge. I had no idea that much came in. I mean, I kind of noticed that everything down there looks salty, but now (laughs) now I know why. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: So go ahead. We're going to take a break from this podcast to take a moment to pay the bills. We'd like to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Carboline and the new Sanitile 755FR. Sanitile 755FR is a
2: fiber-reinforced epoxy
0: for the absolute protection of CMU, concrete, and drywall substrates. These properties make it ideal for hospitals and food and beverage facilities.
2: We want to remind you that if you tune back into Episodes 2 or Episode 10, You can get more information on
0: this product. Remember at Carboline, we have tough solutions for even tougher environments. And now back to the podcast.
2: I was just going to say, so when (laughs) we're looking at these numbers, what kind of of targets should we be looking at? What does Chlorid recommend as a kind of standard number that, that they've looked at and said, this is a low-risk number. This is your targets that you should be looking at.
1: Well, we, we try to be friendly with everyone in the industry like you were talking about earlier, Paul. Um, uh, coatings manufacturers versus owners, it's uh, it varies a lot. And um, what we've been doing here to uh, try to make everyone happy is going off of what the U.S. Navy has been doing uh, over the years, which is if you're working on an atmospheric Uh, level anything external and all that it's uh, for chlorides for example it's say five to seven micrograms per centimeter square or less and uh, if you're working for immersion submersion buried pipeline anything like that it's three micrograms per centimeter square or less and uh so uh sulfates generally run uh atmospherically uh five and uh immersion 10, and the same thing for nitrates. There are some um, articles that are published uh, through NACE, ISO, the whole nine yards. Uh, NACE has 6G186, ISO has a standard 8502-2, and SSPC's Guide 15 that more or less tells you about acidic versus alkaline type products. And uh, they they give you really good information as far as what works and what does not work for removal of soluble salts. So looking at that scale, it looks like really
2: in order to remove soluble salts, you really need an acidic cleaner. Absolutely. So you had mentioned a little while ago as we were talking, you said there's there's kind of a AAA standard that a lot of um, rail cars and tank owners have kind of adopted over the years. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about the the AAA process? Basically
1: the AAA process, and it's been going on forever. Um, When they started making automobiles, Henry Ford and the bunch, um, they had the AAA process, and so are the the rail car industry. They would use the the first A would stand for alkaline, and they would use an alkaline wash, which is more or less a detergent, like a Dawn detergent or something like that, or a uh, non-sudging detergent. And... um, that is used more or less to remove any cutting oils in light grease and that kind of thing prior to working on the steel itself. And then the second A is acidic to be able to remove soluble salt contaminants or sort of like chlorides or nitrates, okay? Mm-hmm. And then the third one is an alkaline process again to stop the corrosion process from taking place for an extended period of time so you can get the correct primer on your substrate.
2: So, and really what we're looking at, you'll hear a lot of times when you call into tech service, we'll talk to you that uh, alkaline detergents are really what you need to use for any hydrocarbon. And we tell people all the time, whether it be an amine blush or uh, an oil, whether you're doing a rehab on a tank, it's those alkaline cleaners that we use for those. Alkaline amines, yes, sir. But those won't touch salts. No. All they're going to do is mask it. They're going to hide it. You're not going to see it. You're not going to be able to
1: detect it, but they're still going to be there. And then they're going to
2: solubilize when you put a lining over it, and that's when you
1: get these osmotic blisters. And you get the premature failure. And, and what I was saying earlier, is NACE 60186, ISO 8502-2, they all clearly state that if you put an alkaline product over the substrate, you will mask over uh, any residual soluble salts that's in the steel. If you think of the pH scale, everybody tests for pH all the time. 7 being neutral, uh, from 0 to 7 is uh, on the acidic side, from 7 to 14 is on the alkaline side. And you cannot mix both. A lot of people ask, "Can, can you take the chloride, which is acidic, versus the whole blast, which is alkaline, and mix them together and make them work at the same time? And no, it's like oil and water. It doesn't work that way. You have to use them separately. We get that. We get that same question. Can I time.
2: mix my can I mix my primer and my top coat together and just yeah. put it all on yeah, at once? All, all at make one. a one coat process? Exactly. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. It's
0: usually better when they ask this before they do that. Too. Exactly. That, that has happened afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and and mix the part B
1: with the part A before you apply it. Exactly, and yeah, not on top. <laughs>
0: <Right>? Correct. <laughs>
1: yes. But uh, but on the acidic versus alkaline side on the pH scale and everything, uh, the chloride is 3.3, uh, give or take two points, uh, on the acidic side, which chloride is used to remove soluble salts. Hold blast does not remove soluble salts. It's an alkaline product, and there's other alkaline products out there that are high on the uh, pH scale. Ours is 10.8, and uh, it will hold the blast for up to three days or longer. So let's, I kind of wanted to hammer
0: home that one more time, and that's why the numbers are different. With immersion uh, grade linings, and we talked about it in our tank lining series, the soluble salts upper limits are significantly lower because the osmotic blistering will happen so much faster since it's constantly in an immersion situation. When you look at the atmospheric uh, coatings, that's why you're allowed a little bit more soluble salts because you're not constantly in that wet condition. Absolutely.
2: One of the things that's happened recently in the last year or so, uh, I guess two years now, NACE and SSPC have both come up with some frequency testing, because that's the next most common question we get after, what are my levels? How often do I need to test this? And the NACE uh, standard is SPO716, and that came up with how, to, how frequently to do your soluble salts testing for atmospheric exposed steel. And at the same time, SSPC was putting together Guide 24, and Guide 24 talks about soluble salts frequency testing for immersion services. And that's really the big difference between those two is they kind of give you a guide. You don't have to follow that. That's a way to come up with a safe representation of
1: what's in your service area. Absolutely. I need to say nothing else more or less about that. Uh, You hit the nail on the head. And uh, it's just that uh, these both of these guides are new to the industry, and there's been some uh, discussions w- how accurate it is, or or how important it is to get it to the way those things are written down. But it's in its infancy stages. At least it's something to go by, and uh, it's it, I'm sure it would be negotiable between the coatings manufacturer and the owner to decide what would be best for them to to go with. And I'm sure those standards are going to improve as, as time goes by. Absolutely, they're a great place to start from. Right.
0: Well, Norman and Joe, thank you very much for stopping by. Joe, like, yell hi so the people know that you are here.
1: Hi, I'm actually here. <laughs> yeah, all
0: right. Um, we scraped the surface on soluble salts. There's a lot more information out there. You can go to Chlorid.com if you want some more information about Chlorid. Thanks, guys, for coming in to see us.
2: Thank you, gentlemen, very thank much. You. It's great to see the new merger of the two companies all the new services that you guys have to offer and all of the things that weren't lost in the combination. It's great to have you still all around. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks
0: again. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next Monday. We now have gotten in a little bit more heat, Paul. We sure have. We've, we've now moved past
2: EHNS, just not happy with us and they've called HR on
0: us. So we'll we'll leave you guys with a little memo that we got here from HR. And we'll see you next Monday.
1: Jack, this is Ashley from HR. I need you to call me back as soon as possible. Bill from EHS has filed a complaint again on both you and Paul Ajamis for publishing confidential voicemails on the podcast. We need to develop a quick resolution to this issue. Oh, and Jack, your request for the margarita machine in the podcast studio has been denied um, for obvious legal reasons. Thank you. <laughs>